0: Hello and welcome to The Found Cause, where we have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And across the airwaves, it's...
1: Theodore, under the PC, under the person of Christ.
0: It is 199 episodes, guys. We were just discussing before this went live. um, I don't know what we're going to do for 200. We have nothing planned, but uh, kind of a momentous occasion. And what marks it is that Theodore is expecting his very first child to be born any moment now. It's 40 weeks, and he could be born right now on air. Um, Please don't. Yeah, so, <laughs> Lord, uh, so that's exciting. Um, and to mark such a special occasion, not really, um, on our list of things to talk about was the book of Titus. I feel like we've had some successful uh, reaction videos, and every time we have a successful reaction video, there are some comments. Although a lot of these comments come on very unsuccessful videos too, which is kind of ironic. That are like, "You're doing it just for the views," you know, "anything for the views," and it's like, "Dude, we don't, <laughs> we don't get views," you know, "like the views are pretty." Poor. we don't um, get paid for this yeah and just to prove it we, did, we make negative money on this I cannot write it off my taxes because that advice us yeah exactly um <laughs> we're doing a, a unpopular episode title um because it speaks to us because we enjoy it and this one is on the book of titus we've done second peter before i think or some some mm-hmm. other book we've done this prior um we're doing titus today it's thematic because sebastian was in a bible study group that just finished a book called titus 10 some man's man book about titus and gifted it to me because i do love a good man's man's book so um that was not was coincidental uh um I guess there's no coincidences, but... Providential. Providential. Um, And you, Theodore, this is really a Genesis episode from you because you had read Titus recently, I think maybe in relation to Mormonism or something we had posted on Found Cause Instagram. Follow us at Found Cause, by the way, um, on Instagram. And you commented to us in our group chat, Titus is like a super succinct version of the gospel. Like, why isn't this book talked about more? Is that right?
1: Yeah. It presents the gospel, it presents advice um, or direction for every kind of person, older men, women, younger men, women, uh, servants, citizens. Um, And yeah, in in three short chapters, it covers all that with relative clarity and sufficiency.
2: Mm -hmm. Which is very odd for Paul, considering he writes treatises and other of his letters.
0: He's got a couple shorties in there, but yeah, he's got range. Yeah. This is one of the shorter ranges. Um, so like anything, we advise you to go to the source material. If you haven't read Titus, if you haven't read it recently, we advise you to go and read it, um, either alongside this episode or after or before this episode starts, um, just so you have context. But we're going to walk through Titus and why it's a great book and some of the things it touches on in order um, for the reasons Theodore just said. It's super succinct and it's easy to read. It'd be a quick read to do before or after this episode. And uh, it's, I think, an underrated book. It's not one that's promoted that much. Um, So let's talk about it. Uh, Starting with, one of the first things that Titus discusses is the roles of uh, proper roles of people in the church. Paul's writing to Titus, who's presumably an elder of a church. And the first thing that comes up is the roles, the proper attitude for uh, older men. So what do we want? How would you say Titus talks about older men?
1: So older men, uh, this is involving some commentaries too, but older men should be temperate, uh, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, love and perseverance, um, watchful over themselves and their own conduct and conversation, behavior, speech, dress, um, temperate in eating and drinking, sound in faith without error in doctrine as as they are in a perceived position of wisdom and influence over the younger men um and persevering through the home stretch of earthly life despite the the difficulties of age
0: yeah and and this is a famous text because it talks about the qualifications of elders for calling it older men i think elders it truly can be the position in the church but also just general older people in the church um, both a good old man should be like an elder qualified in the fact that he's blameless and on all the things we just described so this is an off quoted text from Titus um, but I think it's probably more applicable than we think because this isn't just qualifications for eldership as a role in the church but also for any any older man who is mature, should be hospitable and self controlled, and upright, and holy, and disciplined, and hold firmly and trustworthy message that has been taught, and encourage others soundly with doctrine, and refute those who oppose it. I think any of us should be prepared to be like that, God willing.
2: I was going to say, being being in a in church leadership before, these are very important things because you are going to find other people that may disagree with you. Just you know, people are people, so. Mm-hmm whether rightly or wrongly you're going to have some sort of even if it's just polite confrontation and you do need the leader to n- not be a drunk number one not be uh, prone to anger and someone who is an actual peacemaker i would say like in the sense of christ not a com- not a pushover for sure but someone who is willing to take a step back and be sober minded and be able to analyze situation and see how make sure that church stays together and conflicts are resolved so you'll be surprised a lot of people are not like that so you need someone who has these qualities to be a leader in the church
0: yeah i also think this is a good um A reminder for church members to remember that should their elder be exhibiting drunkenness, violence, non peacemaking, that just because they qualified once doesn't mean they are always qualified and sometimes traits come out over time. Sometimes you just didn't realize that the person was these things. And I think these are things to hold your elders accountable to, because otherwise, because elders have rightful authority over their congregation, it's hard to keep them accountable. But this is a way of keeping them accountable via the Word of God, because, of course, God is over the elders, um, that they shouldn't be exhibiting violence or drunkenness or pursuing dishonest gain or overbearing or being quick-tempered. Like These are things that actually disqualify you for eldership. And so if an elder is showing um, being quick to anger, uh, that's something that should be seriously corrected by the church, even though it's not something that would excommunicate you from the church. right? It is something that I think should seriously disqualify you from eldership and it's it is a high bar so i don't want to pretend like um, all christians aren't or all christian men aren't quick to anger i think there's a lot of us are going to struggle with that um but the elder bar is high so i don't think we should um put in some things like uh, right now we often churches often require uh degrees you need to have uh, some sort of degree in theology to become an elder um, but they don't check hard, the quick temperedness or the drunkenness or the, the non-violence or the not pursuing dishonest gain. And when those things come out, churches are reticent to correct them. So I think we should be ready and willing to correct leadership, but also ready and willing to correct our brothers in Christ um, in, in gentleness, but with texts like Titus.
2: What's really cool and something this is just assumed in this letter, writing to Titus, I would say that Paul is just knows that Titus fits all of this, all these qualities. And I mean more, more credit to Titus, it was like if there was a person who could fulfill this, I mean clearly elders in our modern day can also be like this by the grace of God. So mm-hmm. to me it's encouraging that yeah there was someone who fulfilled these qualities and there have been hundreds of others in the in church history that thousands, excuse me, thousands of others have fulfilled dutifully their role as elder.
0: And you yeah. were going to say something. You had you were something on the tip of your tongue there, Theodore. Unless you already forgot. Oh no, it. I don't think so. Okay. I. Okay. Uh, I will also say personally, um, I definitely err uh, on the side of not wanting churches to be too soft, just because the kind of churches that I've grown up in, and I think the culture in the U.S. right now is pretty softy, and so. Um, when I read these qualifications for elders, I might be tempted to say, this sounds kind of squishy, you know, like these qualifications aren't like able to wield a gun, you know, they're not, they're not like man's man kind of things. Um, however, to show that it isn't a softy, Uh, immediately the next verse after he gives qualifications Paul says for there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception especially those of the circumcision group they must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households by teaching things that they ought not to teach for that sake of dishonest gain so Paul contrasts um, people who are not qualified with elders and straight up slams them right and so this qualification for good being a good older man process is not um, meaningless and everybody basically qualifies. It's not a participation trophy that everybody gets. It is something that is in contrast to um, a pernicious enemy of the church, which are these men who are full of meaningless talk and deception, heretics, right? They're, they're in the church back then and, and now. There are rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception um, in our churches today. And so we should keep in mind that it's a meaningful mission to be qualified as an elder because you're fighting against mm-hmm. the forces of darkness.
2: Yeah, well, it says so in verse 9. He must, the elder, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Mm-hmm. So definitely not a weakling or a pushover. You can you, you can be hospitable and kind to your church and you see some clowns, some Judaizer, some heretics, some Gnostics standing up and secretly spreading heresy, you can oppose this. You need to, in fact, silence this person.
0: Yeah. Uh, Easier said than done, Hmm. but yes. Uh, So besides older men, they also talk about older women and the role of women. And I think that's if, if not as important, it's it's more important I think than the correction to older men here because um, there are several texts directed towards older men, but I think it's uniquely one that's that's directed towards women here in Titus. So. Uh, in Titus two it says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. They, then they can encourage the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign on the word of God. And so that I, unless I'm mistaken and I'm missing something, I think it's a pretty unique text in scripture and the epistles, as far as directly discussing older women, teaching younger women, um, which is useful because in some models of patriarchy, which I, I am an advocate for patriarchy as opposed to complementarianism, but I know there's a there's a non-righteous version of patriarchy, and that version would say that uh, Father rules everything, and therefore there should be no teaching that doesn't come from the Father, or to extend it to the church, there should be no teaching or, or communion that happens without an elder or deacon present, and this description, um, older women are to be teaching younger women. And so there is room definitively biblically for older women to have some sort of capacity, I would call it an official capacity at church to be teaching and discipling younger women. So it's it's got its boundaries, so I'm not saying it's the same as being an elder, but at least it's it's deaconess. It's some position of authority of an older woman that denotes her against a younger woman and gives her the authority to teach and to, to encourage younger women to do righteous things like loving their husbands and children and being self-controlled and pure and busy at home, i.e. not lazy, and to be kind and subject to their husbands um, so that no one can malign them. And uh, and considering, if I can keep going on, considering how influential throughout all of time, but especially in this moment, uh, women are in the American and Western church. Um, I think this kind of text is very important because I hear at my church, I hear from women close to me that often there's the question of what is the role of a woman in church if they are disqualified from eldership? If they can't be in official church leadership, but they make up 65 to 70% of the congregation, like what are they to do? Because they're passionate, they're Christians, they want to make a difference. Um, This is a great area for women to strive for. Just like men should strive for being elders um, in in qualification, women should strive to be able to teach um, younger women in the ways that are described here and to themselves qualify as an older woman that is reverent to the way they live and not slanders or addicted to much wine, but teach what is good. So I think this is a rare and good text to show women what kind of bar they can be aiming for.
2: When it says teach what is good, would you guys interpret it as like teaching the Bible to younger women?
0: Yeah, and and they have practical applications of the
1: Bible. Nice. And, uh, I think said or added to that, um, like teaching in their own homes as opposed to old wives' fables, superstitious customs, or intrigues of love, but rather that which is substantial, useful, honorable, and pure. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I agree with that. We'll keep plowing through because the very next section, keeping with the theme of older men, older women, younger men, there's a younger woman, now a younger man. It says, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, lest anybody think that only women have to be self-controlled. Of course, men do too. Uh, In everything, set them as an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So that's um, similar super similar to the young women as far as the older men are to teach the young men and as a young man myself i want to be ready to be corrected in these kind of things like showing integrity and being serious being soundness in speech that can't be condemned um, which are i think pretty indicative of common struggles that young men teenagers and young men alike struggle with seriousness it's a big transition from being a boy to a man as being serious soundness of speech um, and showing integrity i mean those are all things that we all should have but especially adolescent to young manhood are important so i think that's made clear here yeah 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 <laughs> any last comments on younger men
2: for me i'm ready to get to the spicy stuff spicy
1: dad um let's see Exemplifying good habits and good works, um, not being too extravagant, um, but maintaining a sense of simplicity, sincerity, and faithful faithfulness in their exchanges and dealings. Um, Also related to the speech and like maligning the, where somebody might try to malign the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, knowing the gospel well, and not fallaciously teaching it or morphing the gospel to tickle the ears of an unbeliever um, and thus affirming them in some false notion or potentially putting a goat um, with a false gospel in the same field as the sheep.
0: Right. At the very end of chapter 2, not that we're skipping parts of chapter mm-hmm. 2, but at the very end of chapter 2 it says, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So we should be brave to teach that which we know is true. I think we should be reticent on the things that we don't have strictly from the Bible to be rebuking and correcting people with them. Like, should you get the vaccine, for example? Something that is, it, whatever you say, is not clear in scripture exactly how you should get it. I haven't gotten the vaccine. I think some of you guys have. And it should not be a disputing point between brothers. It obviously split churches, it made a lot of people mad and a lot of people acted like, especially on the conservative side, or equally on the non-conservative side, that that it was so clear that that was the thing to do to love your neighbor or uh, that that was capitulating to the state and therefore was evil. Um, I don't think it was so clear. And I think we should be reticent to fight each other over that kind of thing. However, we should have great, in contrast to that, we should have super huge Confidence guts to speech these things confidently right to say that it is not good to be addicted to wine It's not good to be unserious. It's not good to have non-sonist speech It's not good to let those malign the gospel because of what you have to say And so we should be able to rebuke and correct anybody in the church with these things confidently
1: But then also <laughs> if it's like a younger person uh, correcting an older person then i think in first or second timothy it says appeal to them as like a son to a father Mm -hmm. so again yeah in gentleness and respect and reverence appeal to um those who are older than you in order to correct them
0: yeah i should caveat this letter is to titus so when he says do not let anyone despise you it's to the older man to titus and so this is a Specifically, this is encouragement to older men who have experience and qualifications of an elder to speak confidently to those under them. I agree with you and with Scripture, Theodore, that the younger men should, when, when, there, when it is time to correct an older man, you should do it like a son to a father and respectfully because he is older than you and does have a position over you in the church. Speaking of positions of power over other men, Let's speak to a touchy issue, only because atheists bring it up all the time, and America is obsessed with slavery. Because slavery is taught Wait, right here. not
1: to young women? <laughs> oh,
0: okay. Pause <laughs> on the slavery. Pause you want to talk about young women again. What do you have to say about young women,
1: Peter? <laughs> <laughs> okay, young women, to learn from the older women. Uh, so it's like directly connected to that. Um, especially their own mother, to be chaste, modest, temperate, wise, prudent, in conduct, pure... Uh, and appear love singular to their own husbands to seek uh, to help their husbands seek their uh, their honor and peace and union with them um, to love their children seeking their spiritual and eternal welfare to properly discipline them not letting mere natural affection usurp the necessity of the goal of their eternal well-being. Um, it's like Proverbs 13 uh, verse 24, like spare the rod, spoil the child kind of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah discipline is of use um <clears throat> i just thought it was interesting uh, that in some cultures like the tortoise is symbolic of a woman um so uh, i found a quote the tortoise which carries its house upon its back and very rarely shows its head or looks out of it was with the ancients an emblem of good of a good housewife These also should be instructed to be good or kind to their servants and beneficent to, um, the poor, to strangers towards whom, uh, very often women are apt to be straight handed and not so generous and liberal as they should be. Tortoise has symbolized the earth or mother earth and fertility, wisdom, patience, gentleness, and perseverance. Um, yeah. So it's
0: turtles are kind of gross, but I guess so, (laughs) uh, not everybody thinks so (laughs) not everybody it's true (laughs) some real turtle lovers out there i also think what's interesting now that we're just talking about young women again that um with all the caveats that are proper i think it is very telling and we shouldn't forget and we shouldn't ignore the fact that paul's command here is to urge the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be subject to their husbands just two highlights from his list of things to do clearly and i want to emphasize that again clearly is normative for women to get married and have children. All the caveats, some people can't have children, some people can't get husbands, um, but it is a normative thing to get married and to have children. And I think especially it's worth highlighting that in this age when people say it's not normative. In fact, it's very common for people to be unmarried. I think that is a super cultural thing um, and not in a good way. And so I think that we should be extra clear here that it is normative for women to marry and have children, that it's a good thing, that you don't have to feel bad about doing the traditional thing, um, that it's expected, it's a normal thing. And therefore you should pursue getting a husband, pursue being being a good wife and pursue having children. Um, All the caveats, again, that that the Lord doesn't always grant this to you, um, but there are ways that we try to deny ourselves a husband or deny ourselves children as well. And I think we should be cognizant not to do that um, foolishly. Again, with all the caveats, I just want to point out here that uh, there's no caveats with Paul. All right. Are we good to move on to, to slaves? <laughs> slaves. Um, I am not afraid personally of the slave issue when atheists bring it up. I'm not afraid of the slave issue when Democrats bring it up. And I'm not, especially not afraid, when fellow Christians bring it up because fellow Christians, at least, you know, the, the atheist and the Democrat don't have the same standard that I do, which is the Word of God. But fellow Christians do. And I think, especially for fellow Christians who are going to have some charity in believing the Word of God, the slavery issue is a very uncomplicated issue, actually. Um, We know, we all know that in America today, slavery is considered one of the top three evils, I'd say. You've got slavery, you've got um, oppressing the poor, and then uh, maybe abortion being a right. Maybe those are the three things, although that one's controversial. Slavery is not intrinsically evil. I'm going to put that out there. That is a that's an American truism. It is not a biblical truism. We are slaves to Christ. The amount of times that Paul calls himself a slave to Christ, people saying they're slaves to God in the Old Testament, like that, being a slave to God is a good thing. We're freed from slavery to sin, but made slaves to Christ, which is a good thing, which is freedom. The definition of freedom is being a slave to Christ. So slavery as a concept is a good thing. It's required actually to believe and be saved, is to be a slave of god so if you believe that slavery being slave not being free is in and of itself evil you need to be corrected by the bible because the bible talks all about slavery in the old testament and the new testament so even post jesus is a good thing as a whole now are there wicked kinds of slavery absolutely yes so american slavery in the south chattel slavery there are particular things and ways it breaks the command of god on how slavery should be enacted First and foremost, the slavery of the of God's law is debt slavery. It's always for a purpose. It's always able to be bought out. There's special rules around it. If it's not going to be, if it's going to be permanent, it needs to be agreed upon by the slave himself, and there needs to be a special ceremony. The children aren't subject to slavery. There's a lot of rules around slavery. However, even traditional slavery, like you are a slave to the master, to a human master, and you're doing his work for him, um, which is it's a bad state to be in like it's better to be free than be a slave this is in the Proverbs 2 it's better to be a slave than to be dead or to be in poverty and so it is a mechanism for people who are in poverty who are in massive debt to pay off their debt instead of being a permanent slave in debt or permanently poor they can be <laughs> poor for seven years and then be released which is again another biblical rule seven years of slavery is the norm and um, be released with a gift from the master and able to get back up on their feet again. And how many Americans in the land of the free and over the brave would submit themselves to slavery just to be not in debt anymore and to be given a place to live um, afterwards? Many. I think it would benefit the American system greatly for that kind of slavery to be present. So all that said, let's talk about how Titus speaks on slavery, would you?
2: Sure. I would say also, for clarification, and if it's first time anyone's encountering this, or they have difficulty grasping it, biblical slavery would be close to the modern term indentured servitude, I would say. This is my opinion. If you have another word, please, by all means, you can put it down in the comments. And that's biblical slavery. which is good. Roman slavery, on the other hand, it was not good. It was more... Uh, it was similar to the American slavery. It was chattel slavery. You had servants that were working in the house cooking cleaning or like being a representative on your behalf the show rome so actually does a pretty good job in representing this it's very violent so watch with caution and very obscene sometimes a great show though and the slaves there even if they're servants even if they're very educated servants and slaves they were treated like property you know you did not have the same rights or could ever really get the same rights unless granted by them by the master, you know, on his or her whim. Paul is saying to these people who are chattel slaves pretty much, be subject to their masters. And the word masters is despotes, which is when you get the word desperate. And it is not something would say it's easy to talk about in the modern US for sure, slavery or To me specifically, this is impactful. There are many people out there who would say Jesus Christ and the apostles were social justice warriors seeking not to um, preach um, spiritual salvation, but literally free and the oppressed on this earth and provide justice for all. However, if you read this, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way, they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Paul is pretty much saying, if you're a slave, be the best slave that you can be. Not for the sake of, you know, just doing a good job, but for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. whom is your true Lord. And that by your work even if it's as a chattel slave you may actually end up winning over your masters to salvation because your attitude is going to stand out over other slaves who would sometimes pocket money you know that if they were buying stuff from the market they may try to pocket some money steal from their masters when they're in a home i mean even uh, cleaning services sometimes do that in the modern day You know, when someone's not home you may try to like see some jewelry especially from some older people don't do that says paul Be a good worker. It sucks. In in another letter, he says, you know, so fortunate to be a slave. If you can purchase your freedom, do it. But don't make that your end goal.
0: Yeah. And I think part of the offensiveness of slavery, besides the chattel portion of it, is that we know that resistance is permitted in the Bible when you are being wronged. Specifically, for example, uh, you're permitted to resist the government when the government oversteps its bounds. There are some clear bounds that it's given, and then you you do not have to obey the government in those. But you can't you can. It's not evil to obey the government in those, but you are allowed to resist. However, I think what's most upsetting to people in the modern day about slavery is that slavery is not just the typical government role over you because the, the, the roles that government have over you are decently limited. Like they're, they have some control right, they can tax you, they can draft you, they can do certain things that are allowed for kings, but they can't, um, I'll say the most controversial ones, they can't demand sex from you, they can't do some of the things that masters of slaves are allowed to do. And I think that's what's most upsetting to people today is that slaves, truly, you are submitting yourself to be a second class citizen in the truer sense of the word. And it is, it's allowed. It's like a, you're allowed to make yourself that caste for a limited time in the Bible. Um, but it truly is a second class citizen. There's still people. And so, Bob, as you said, Paul talks about a slave in Philemon um, and says you should treat him well when he comes back to the master. And slaves should try to escape and find their freedom if possible. However, um, while they are a second class citizen, while they are a slave, um, they should be a good slave, not an evil slave. Because... As a slave, you have three options, right? You can be a good slave. You can be a lazy, bad person, which is makes you a lazy, bad slave. Or you can be like an evil slave that tries to kill his master. And although he, he you know, he, it's hard to be a slave, right? It's hard to be. It's harder to be a slave than to not be a slave. Um, your right is not to kill the master. Just like while I can resist the government if they charge me more than ten percent tax. I don't have the right to kill the government you know when the taxman comes to my door my response can't be to shoot him unless he like comes in to shoot me right so unless the master is coming to kill you um you don't have the right to kill the master just because he whipped you or he made you do something you don't want to do that those things are not um, permitted for the slave to do the only of course the only things that a master can't make you do are are sinful expressly sinful things and i feel like in the us we have such a bad problem with boundaries of authority um christians also and secularists also we say uh the government essentially a lot of people say the government can be your master and they can make you do anything they want except for sinful things no that's the right of a master to a slave we are not slaves to the government um there's there's different balance there but when you are a slave you actually are subject to your master and everything except for sin and that's hard because master can make you do a lot of hard things pull 12-hour days um sleep in bad places and and like i said the the Uh, A master is allowed to sleep with a slave for a price in the Old Testament. And I don't want to shy away from that. That is a hard reality. That is um, not good. You do not want to have your daughters yourself sold into that kind of slavery. um, But that is the right of a master over a slave. And so um, I would not want to be in slavery. I don't recommend people go into slavery, um, but we have to recognize the truth there and how atheists attack us on that very front. We should not be ashamed of the things that God has provided. Um, and that's the that slavery is something that um, and and the, the non overthrowing of slavery here in Titus is something that is that is real. We should acknowledge that Paul is not calling the slaves to overthrow their masters here. Any extra comments on that, Theodore? Um, were you
1: talking about the verse in Leviticus? Or i, on, I don't on know. what maybe, providing maybe we can talk about that another time
0: the the sex one I'm
1: not exact. <clears throat> yeah, uh,
0: I think so. I don't actually know the verse. So I thought' it up okay be welcome- welcome to comment in the comments because maybe it is worth its own video because of how spicy that topic is. um don't think that I'm <laughs> maybe maybe it doesn't work <laughs> in a large god talk is how sensitive that topic is um but yeah I think that's. plenty caveats
1: that. in context to that as well mm-hmm. We could talk about for a while.
0: Yeah, the basic gist is if you too. go back to Leviticus, rape proper is punishable by the death penalty, um, but rape of a slave is punishable by a fine, and so it's clearly it's still a sin, but it's not the same category because of the position the slave has put themselves in because of the relationship. That's what I would argue, um, and the, that's the way the Bible's law is laid out. Is that um, that that's the it's a lesser punishment
1: like yeah rape is not murder therefore you don't it's not like an eye for eye kind of thing and
0: well regular this, rape is so regular rape is punishable by the death penalty like if you're two free people um, and one of them rapes the other it's punishable by the death penalty but um, but not for slaves
1: okay but then yeah if they do that or what then they have to let the slave go or they have to send the slave with a with money or something like that. Yeah, yep. I forget exactly what. It says.
2: Which, again, as a reminder, that was not the kind of system that the Roman Empire yeah. had. There was like, if you yes. can rape the slave, and then you can kill your slave because they are not even humans. Whereas in the Bible, they were humans.
0: And still, Paul says, "Don't overthrow your master." So I w- I would hold that if the master in that system comes to kill you, you can resist. Yeah, I'm um, just like if the government yeah. comes to kill you today, you can resist. However, barring that and they have a lot of rights over you that the government does not have over us today.
1: And again, with uh, the letter that's just after Titus in the Bible, um, the Philemon, Philemon <laughs> however you say um, it, yeah,
0: Philemon, uh, Philemon. Paul writes a
1: letter to him because his slave Onesimus has escaped, and then there's a law in uh, Deuteronomy that um, Paul is basically. Letting Anisimus stay in his house. Mm-hmm. He sends a letter back to Philemon and uh, basically saying this guy was not useful to you, but now he is useful to both of us. Um, and now receive him back as a brother. So, like, even if he comes back slave, he's still treated as a brother mm-hmm. um, and treated as a Christian would treat another Christian.
0: Yep. And I think, um, yeah, I. There, there are things about slavery in the Old Testament, God's law, I should say, God's law, that are specific for how you treat fellow Israelites, who I think are equatable to brothers and sisters in Christ versus non-Israelites, non-Christians, that I don't know how applicable they are in the modern day, the distinction there, but uh, yeah, treat Christians well, obviously, treat neighbors well as well. Any other on the hot topic of slavery, gentlemen? I think I said the spicy stuff. I didn't shy away from
2: Yeah, I know. That's good. That's good. Did you have that quote from Basil of Caesarea? Theater or was it for some, yeah. another one?
1: Should I also rant <laughs> mentioning Alex O'Connor?
0: Yeah, do it. We're here. We're,
1: okay. I'll go into that first. So people like Alex O'Connor. Um...
0: Atheist. We reacted to him last episode.
1: Uh, though he has faith in moral su- subjectivism, asserts that it is uh, it asserts as if it's an absolute truth that all forms of slavery or serv- servitude are bad. While uh, um, and he says that any form of slavery is wrong and should be condemned in the Bible, but much um, uh, much of what Alex O'Connor mentions as slavery is rather servitude. And additionally, this servitude is not necessarily a bad thing. As in eternity, we will all be subject to and subservient to Christ. Uh, but we will all also share in his inheritance. We will be stewards of that which we are given. And certainly, uh, with like modern day and maybe what Alex O'Connor would argue for, who knows, um, we will not all be these equity and inclusion, equality of outcome clones where we're all the same and given the same portion of pea soup and the same wallpaper or the same pride or lack thereof, having ended yet another game of pickleball in a draw. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) there, uh, just a little rant for him. (laughs) Can you
0: imagine if there's no winners in heaven? Yeah, there's like, you can't win at pickleball, you just got to (laughs) draw. That's a good point.
1: Right. (laughs) Um, So, Hazel, Caesarea. Um, I shortened it. Uh, It is better for a man who lacks, I'd say, incredible intelligence and self-control or discipline to become another's possession. Governed uh, by his master's intelligence, he will become like a chariot driven by a skilled horseman or a ship with a seasoned sailor at the tiller. Do you want me to say more or is that
0: or maybe you can comment on who Basil is for reference there. So here's Basil, old-timey Christian from the 400s. Um, and he's saying, just to summarize there, uh, to reiterate, that slavery can be good, right? That, that somebody who is not a good person, not disciplined, not intelligent, can be used for better um, by their master in righteousness.
2: And that's something that comes from someone that would be the... If you're looking for someone that's a social justice warrior in the 400s, it would be Basil of Caesarea, Caesarea, and he was from an aristocratic Roman family in Anatolia, Turkey, Caesarea, and when he became a Christian, he started to join in the clergy, and he inherited all his manners and estates from his family, he decided to sell it all, because he he was convinced in his own personal take, other church fathers had different takes on this, that he should have sold all his property and given it to the poor. money that he gathered from that for charity he believed that if you are rich and you are a christian you should be out of the kindness of your heart doing as much as possible for the service of others like okay great good for you because the roman empire it was it was a bad place to live in so i'm glad he was trying to help out those who are poor and destitute and even him who didn't like the practice of slavery. He thought that the Roman system was bad. However, it could be transformed through Christianity, and it was. Eventually, it would cease. And being a practice in the Roman Empire, he said this quote in his book on social justice.
0: So it wasn't a hot take back then. Shouldn't be a hot take now.
1: Something that you're mind is it kind of sounds also like um, employment where we choose to work for an employer because we don't have enough funds on our, on our own or enough wherewithal or, uh, intelligence innovation to like start our own business or invent something. Mm -hmm. Um, so we choose to do this because it's, we can do it, we can profit off of it and we can maybe do better at it and maybe suffer less loss, um, take less chance. By doing that Mm um and also i think another argument for some sort of slavery or servitude is that odd doesn't seem necessarily concerned with maximizing production or like maximizing some uh i don't know some sort of product or existence as much as he is concerned with um his own glory and glorifying us as well. And um, so, uh, and like maturity. Maturity of a human soul. So like as instead of like some sort of efficiency or maximization, it seems more uh, to be some maturing and uh, glory. And just the magnificence of creating itself.
0: I, yeah. And what you mean, I assume, is that the purpose of slavery in God's law is not for economic means; it's for the betterment of slaves.
1: Yeah. Yep. And
2: which is, sorry, before before I'm gonna forget because the book's now starting to come back. It's been a while since I read it, but that's actually part of Basil's argument before that. Yes, rich, don't be stingy. Don't live in an ivory tower. Give as much as you can to the poor. At the same time, poor people, don't be begging for money. Get to work. If the Lord has given you a healthy body, work to the best of your ability. If you can't find work, and this is a terrible situation, as he would say, it is preferable to sell yourself into slavery. And then he starts quote, and then he starts his quote, rather than being destitute and, have, and letting your family starve, because that is even a greater evil than, than um, not helping your brother, letting your family starve. So.
1: And to echo that, I'll just go with this uh, supposed quote from the Bishop of Smyrna um, in a letter to Polycarp mm-hmm. or Church Fathers. Um, <clears throat> you must not be overbearing in, uh, in your manner with slaves, obviously. Then uh, It should be their aim to be better slaves for the glory of God so that they may earn a richer freedom at his hands. And they are not to set their hearts on gaining their liberty at the church's expense, for then they only become slaves to their own longings.
0: Yep. So this is one where I think it is easy by nature to stand out against the world because of our difference with the world here. The world has decided that slavery inherently is evil, and we would say um, not inherently. There are certain kinds of slavery that are bad, Um, But slavery itself is actually a good thing. It's a God-ordained thing. So with that being said, uh, let's wrap up with a a way less controversial thing, but probably the reason we didn't go to Titus for slavery. It's not like we went there because we love slavery. Um, Really, the purpose of us going to Titus um, was twofold. Uh, It's it's short, so it's easy to read through, and it has a really succinct version of the gospel or uh, explanation of the gospel in it. Um, You think it's in two? Well, not the final thing, Wait, but I okay. did want to say... Can we mentioned citizens enough? <laughs> Sorry. Well, do it. Okay, there's many things to t- talk about prior then. <laughs> okay. How about you go to and then we'll talk about citizens. I, okay. In
2: chapter 3, he does talk about the redemption that he has accomplished through Jesus Christ. Now that I think about it, theater, forgive me. Even though it t- it's all throughout the letter, I'm going to hold off on the redemption part until we talk about citizenship because it comes first. Can you please talk about citizenship?
1: <laughs> yeah, so the first two verses of chapter three, which is the last chapter in Titus, um, it talks about basically obeying your governing authorities. Uh, and it there's more of this in Romans 13 as well. Um, it says, God has ordained even governments that they should not be, and, and they should not be a terror to those who do right, but those who do wrong. They are said to be a minister for good, um, and it is right to pay taxes to them. And our, though uh, our obedience is contingent on the overarching assumption that the government is a minister for good. Uh, for we see precedent in, uh, to disobey devilish governments if they demand us to murder our own children, as we see in Exodus 1, or worship false gods in Daniel 3, or to not share the gospel in Acts 4. Uh, we are to do uh, we are to not murder our children we are sh- to worship the one god and we are to share the gospel and those are things that we must disobey the government over, over if they uh try to squelch that or contradict that
0: yeah and this is where i think the the lines can get fuzzy for christians today because of our bad view of the law because nobody studies the law anymore uh typically in the us and the west um, but the line here from Titus is, "...remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to so slander know why to be peaceable and considerate and to always be gentle towards everyone." Again, I think in, in, in uh, the category of, subjects of being subject to rulers and authorities, uh, I think we could take notice of this. Conservative Christians and liberal Christians alike, uh, politically, can be sh- subject to this to say we should be peaceable, and considerate Now he's being gentle towards everyone. I think the everyone there is specifically about rulers and authorities. So when you are meeting with Joe Biden, right, and you don't agree with Joe Biden and he comes to shake your hand, I don't think the proper Christian response, as much as I think that Christians are very much entitled to a strong view on politics and it's not Joe Biden's view, I do not believe the proper approach to Joe Biden would be to spit on his hand um, or to make up stories about him that aren't actually true just to get him to lose reelection. Um, And similarly, again, for Trump, whatever you think about Trump, if he comes to shake your hand, I don't think that it is gentle towards everyone to spit on his hand or to um, be stirring up controversy um, amongst the church by being unpeaceable and inconsiderate and slandering. Um, So that's something we can all learn. I also think, like you said, Theodore, the bounds of government, they can't make us sin, I think all, all Christians pretty much agree with that one, and there's some arguments to whether or not the, some things are sins or not, um, but I think we should remember <laughs> that all of these are always caveated, of course, by the proper role of government, and they're always, if the government is making you do something good, and so we should ground what we believe the bounds of government to be from the Bible and not just from our own armpits, because I think we can tend to say, the government can only tell me, you know, to not cross the border illegally. Otherwise, like, I don't need a driver's license. I'm a sovereign citizen. I'm like, okay, <laughs> the government does have a right to own their own roads. Um, so I think in that way, they can charge you a fee to drive on the roads with a driver's license. However, um, there is some bounds, right? And I don't ble- believe um, them forcing you to get the COVID shot. For example, to go back to the controversy, I don't believe that's the proper bounds of government. And so there were Christians that were advocating that they're looking at Titus 3, they're looking at Romans uh, 13, and they're saying, you must obey the ruling authority. So when they tell you to do something, even if I don't have the right to tell you to do that uh, biblically, that you have to do it. And I would say, no, if they were my master and I was their slave, yes, but no, not in this case. Um, I, I could do it, but I don't have to. Um, but we should be ready when they do ask me something within their balance to do whatever is good and to not slander them. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Talking about the gospel.
0: Yay. Yay. Okay. Now we end on something non-cultural. We just had a little little controversy in there too. The gospel.
2: Well, this could still be controversial because even from the beginning, if you noticed, if you read the letter, he talks about election Mm -hmm. to the elect of God. And then he, at the end here in verse 3, he starts talking about how once we were foolish, evil, enslaved to passions, malice, envious, hating, hating others being hated. But then the kindness But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. Who could have put the gospel in a better way? In a more in a shorter way, excuse me. And talks about pretty much, you know, the what he does a treatise on in Romans in just a short sentence. Evil, gross enemies of God. While we were enemies, God showed kindness and mercy that we did not deserve. Jesus Christ saved us he's equating Jesus to God which is significant since this is one of his earlier letters Mm -hmm. letters of Paul so pretty early on on 50s 60s AD there's already the equivalence of Jesus being Yahweh being God and not only that we were not saved because of what we had done righteously but rather by his righteousness there is nothing desirable in us that God could look at us and say, oh, this is a good person. I'm gonna elect him or her. Rather, I'm gonna elect him. This person is trash. I'm gonna show some mercy. I'm gonna elect him and save him or her and display my mercy this way. Calvinism question mark. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So even very early on, you still, you have the mention in this letter of the father at the beginning, the son, and the holy spirit and who actually the the precedence of the spirit poured out on us generously through jesus christ our savior so that having been justified by his great grace we might become heirs of eternal life we have been justified therefore we can now do all these good works and proceed into eternal life mm-hmm. pretty cool i'm actually gonna start memorizing this one
1: and speaking about that and servanthood um and um some mormons uh when speaking to them they'll get the sense from christians that oh christians think you can just be saved and that's it and you can sin you don't need to do good works necessarily blah 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 Um, But obviously we see that's wrong from Ephesians, but then I thought it was interesting because we also have that in the previous chapter of Titus. So Titus chapter 2, verse 14, uh, we see that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and purify for his own possession a people eager to do what is good, also translated zealous for good works. So we have both. (laughs) You're saved and then... Uh, you're not going to continue in evil.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: It says you will be eager to do what is good. And I would say that's true. If you've been born again, been adopted as a son or daughter of God, you will want to do what is pleasing to him because your heart of stone has been changed to a heart of flesh.
0: Yeah, I think to just double emphasize what you already said, Sebastian, one of my favorite things about this short, succinct pitch of the gospel here in Titus 3 is the way Paul is showing the interaction of all three persons of the Godhead. Um, he's, got, he's got the Father, he's got the Holy Spirit, and Christ, showing that they are all God. They're clearly all pushing towards the same intention too, but they all have different roles in salvation, in that um, the love of God, our Savior, Purity saved us because of His mercies. There's God the Father electing us, and then He saves us through the washing and rebirth by the Holy Spirit, can he poured out generously through Christ Jesus. So you could back it up and say, Christ is our savior, as Paul says here, um, who then allows us to receive the Holy Spirit, which ultimately renews us under the plan of God, the Father's mercy. And so God elects, Christ um, it initiates the election, actually activates it um, by dying and paying and putting his blood on us. And then the Holy Spirit is the one that finishes it and uh, makes it real. And so in this way, we show all three members of the Godhead interacting um, and I think uneducated Protestants, Roman Catholics, especially Eastern Orthodox, we've talked to, they hate this view of God working in synchronousness like this and, and, and enacting his will because, specifically because, they are so heavily attached to us having the final say in salvation that they don't want God to elect and then finish his election Um, via all his members. And so if you say only Jesus um, gives his blood to everybody, you know, universalists, like everybody gets saved because Jesus pours his blood out on everybody, you don't leave room for the Holy Spirit or God. Like God the Father, I should say, God the Father elects. They don't allow for God to choose certain people and not choose other people. They want Jesus' blood to spray on everyone. Um, They also refuse the Holy Spirit in this case, because the Holy Spirit renews us via rebirth and washing and they don't believe that the atheist that goes to heaven ever had the Holy Spirit, and yet he went to heaven. Um, so Universalists reject this view. And then, likewise, Eastern Orthodox, certain Arminians, even they, they go over the edge. Um, Catholics, our whole deal with Catholics and Eastern Orthodox is that they reject the gospel in that they say that God the Father elects, but his election fails. So he elects everyone or a portion of people, but some of those people fall away because Jesus Christ's blood is applied to them but it either fails or it's not applied to them but the Holy Spirit doesn't enter them. In any case, the Godhead is not working in unity here. God will elect certain people that the Holy Spirit does not refresh and renew or the Holy Spirit refreshes and renews people that Jesus Christ doesn't actually pay for with his blood. All of this breaks the Trinity as much as like our faithful viewer, Eric Alharb likes to say that we break the Trinity. He, he Eastern Orthodox, breaks the Trinity by saying that something that the Father initiates that Jesus is supposed to finish but the Holy Spirit doesn't follow through on, or likewise, the Holy Spirit works, but then Jesus doesn't follow through on, or maybe Jesus and the Holy Spirit work, but God doesn't follow through on. Whenever you you make man part of this equation instead of the three members of the Godhead, you you break the gospel. So I think this is a really succinct way to show the Trinity working in salvation. Beautiful, yeah. Very, very clearly laid out by by Paul.
2: I think it is worth mentioning simply because we brought up divine election earlier in chapter 2 he talks about verse 11 for the grace of god has appeared has appeared that offers salvation to all people now armenians would let and not the ethnicity the armenianists uh, theology position would like to say that just like how in the gospel of john it says you know whosoever believe and in the other letters in, of Paul, when he says all, they said, see, all humans. Well, the great problem with that is that that would break the Trinity if it was literally every single human that will ever leave, that offers salvation to every single human, that's all people, all every single human that's ever been alive, because that would break the Trinity, and that would be inconsistent with God, considering that there's people, not in hell now, but that will be in hell for either... Um, eternity, whatever view you want to hold on that Annihilation or eternal Torment, that would break the trinity Rather, what God, what Paul is saying here To all people, he means that God does not discriminate between Either ethnicity um, Sex, gender Or uh, status Of people, considering right. he just talked about Old, old men, old women Young men, young women Slaves, masters the grace of God has appeared to offer salvation to all people. I would say all kinds of people. God does not discriminate based on status. Right,
0: and it's directly relevant. um I know Eric Alharb and others get really mad when you insert "all kinds" there, but clearly this, like you just said, is immediately after talking about young and old men, young and old women, slaves and masters. This "all people" is clearly referring to all kinds of people.
2: And don't think it's just me inserting this. In again. From the start, we talks about the hope of eternal life promised before the beginning of time. Meaning God predestined this before the planet Earth existed or time existed. And faith to God's elect. The the Father elects, the Son atones, and the Holy Spirit brings forth the work of salvation into the heart of the individual. All kinds of people and uh, the justification sold by christ alone so again it's all just uh monergistic mm-hmm. work of salvation by god alone in harmony in the trinity
0: praise god because we ourselves if, if we were if it was up to us to be saved we would all not be saved because we all fail any that you Theodore, kind of picked this one out so do you have any other succinct things or poignant things you want to say about titus we've worked it's a short book just three chapters so we've just worked through it all
1: um probably can't think of anything in time i
0: think you had said something that that sketchy to me theodore and that uh, if there's ever that question christian icebreaker that's like if you're stuck on a desert island what book of the bible are you bringing if you can only bring one right. um you said titus <laughs> is that true or is that hyperbole
1: at this point it'd be titus all right
0: <laughs> titus you'll be the one guy with titus um I heard somebody say Song of Solomon once, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. He's not elect. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was she, and she had she really liked it because it was like God in Israel. And it was that kind of interpretation, but um, oh. teach their own. It's, it's a book, it's a book of the Bible. Yeah, I'm taking Matthew just because I'm, I'm partial, but Titus is good. Got the gospel in there. You're taking Leviticus? Isaiah? Isaiah. Okay,
2: it's pretty lengthy. It'll keep you entertained. It has a lot of different topics. So,
0: yeah, you can burn part of it for firewood and still be like, <laughs> still got like sixty pages left. You don't have much of that in Titus. You got three chapters. You got to choose one to axe.
1: No, but it's shorter and memorizable. Mm, yeah. so I can burn the whole thing after I memorize it <laughs> and then I can teach it to my children and my children's children easy
0: peasy wow alright well that's why we've, because we because you can burn Titus and still memorize it and that's why we found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ I've been Michael the man behind the machine and to my right has been Sebastian the bookkeeper and all the way across the airwaves it has been you under the PC. Perspective father, soon to be. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you got to find us on foundcause.podbean.com where you can download them all for your listening pleasure. Um, we, Podbean tells us we have like 203 episodes because of some random ones in there. So they already think we passed 200 episodes. But uh, soon to be 200 episodes next time on Facebook where you can find our videos to see our beautiful places or on YouTube. We're also on Spotify and iTunes and wherever else you might find your listening podcast pleasures. Stay tuned to see if we give away a pickup truck. We may. <laughs> it is possible because all things are possible through Christ. <laughs> Until next time, we do something completely different. Maybe it's a giveaway. I don't know. Uh, bye. <laughs>